We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 657 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, September 15th, 2023, and thanks for nothing, Minnesota Vikings, a 34-28 loss at the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night football. So our updated NFC East standings for the 2023 regular season now have the Eagles at 2-0. The Commanders got to keep pace with a win at the Denver Broncos this Sunday. But how about the Vikings? You know, the Vikings last regular season went an improbable 11-0 and in one-score games. The Vikings now, two games into this regular season, are 0-2 in one-score games. We call that regression to the mean. And no, I am not going to make some joke about Vikings quarterback, former Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins once again losing a primetime game. I am not going to make a joke about that. Kirk on Thursday night, 31 of 44 for 364 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. He was not the Vikings' problem. The Vikings allowed the Eagles to rush for 259 yards and three touchdowns. That was the Vikings' problem. The Vikings head coach, former Skins offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell, a.k.a. KOC. Uh, His defense, again, is a problem. But yeah, thanks for nothing, Vikings. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Prepare yourself for a whole lot of Washington, D.C. area sports conversation and fun. Uh, This is the podcast that follows D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. This is a podcast for which there is a new episode every weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. No other podcast or show like this one. Good to have you with us. Uh, And coming up on this installment of the podcast, in-depth preview of Commanders Broncos, the showdown in the Mile High City, Sunday afternoon at 425. Next segment, I will talk Commanders offense, including key comments from assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy in a pre-practice press conference early Thursday afternoon. Uh, I then will talk Commanders defense, including a positive development on the status of edge defender Chase Young and key comments from defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio in a pre-practice press conference on Thursday. No podcast or show brings you commander's audio like this podcast does. Uh, I then will present to you 
rhyming keys, my keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. I've got some good ones for you (laughs) this week. And by good ones, I mean really bad ones for you. Uh, And I then will have my prediction for the game. Also on the show, college football. I'll talk Navy football. The midshipmen on Thursday night nearly pulled off a big upset. Did fall short, a 28-24 loss at Memphis. Uh, additionally, I have Goldilocks previews and picks for two games this weekend. Maryland home to Virginia Friday night at 7 and Virginia Tech at Rutgers Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And I will talk Orioles and Nationals and in that order. You know, the order of baseball discussion on this podcast almost always is Nats first, O's second, because the Nats are the MLB team of Washington, D.C., although D.C. still has a ton of Orioles fans. But I do occasionally change the order of the baseball discussion on this podcast. And this is a time for which the change is warranted, because we on Thursday had the American League leading O's playing game one of a big four-game series against the American League wildcard leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And we also on Thursday had the Nats concluding a four-game series at the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates in a battle of two of the worst teams in the National League. Uh, Now, both the O's and the Nats did lose on Thursday. Uh, The O's lost to the Rays, 4-3, now have just a one-game lead on the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Uh, The Nats lost at the Pirates 2-0 on Thursday afternoon in the shortest nine-inning regular season game for the Nats since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. The game took just one hour and 50 minutes Uh, The loss clinched the Nats having a fourth consecutive losing regular season, but the loss also featured a much-needed great outing by Nats starting pitcher Josiah Gray. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael King on the performance of the commander's offensive line in the team's regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. I, on Thursday's show, episode 656, talked about how and why the line in that game did not play as poorly as people thought. Uh, The line was not great, but the line from especially a pass protection standpoint was not the disaster that the line has been made out to be. And one of the things that I brought up was that the commanders for week one ranked number eight in the NFL in pass block win rate per ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. Additionally, uh, Sam Howell in his pre-practice press conference on Wednesday took responsibility for the six sacks that he took in the game. Writes Mike, As the saying goes, figures lie and liars figure. Sam Howell this and Brian Robinson that the experts can say and justify whatever they like. But to suggest this offensive line actually played well is comical. The line may well be worse than Ron Rivera's Carolina retreads (laughs) from last year. Still plenty of time to improve, I hope. Also, as the saying goes, don't urinate down my back and tell me it's raining. The line play was terrible. Just my opinion, Al. Thank you. Thank you for the email, Mike. I'll leave the urinating on people to R. Kelly, okay? But I hear you, Mike. I do. I do, though, think that it's important to note this with offensive line play. It is one of the hardest 
and trickiest things to assess in sports. And so often, what our eyes tell us is, in fact, not true. I used to do a radio show with Chris Cooley, one of the best tight ends in Redskins history. Uh, Cooley was so good at breaking down the All-22. And I'll never forget, in either 2013 or 2014, watching an All-22 of a sack taken by the Skins, a QB1 at the time, Robert Griffin III. And this was at a time in which the Skins' right tackle at the time, Tyler Columbus, remember him, was getting killed by fans for being really bad. Fans were just trashing Tyler Columbus. How dare he be so bad in blocking for RG3? And Cooley, in assessing this sack via the All-22, explained how, while the sack looked to be the fault of Columbus, in fact, was the fault of Robert. But if you didn't know better, you thought that Columbus was at fault. There's a lot with offensive line play that in real time we don't know and or don't see. You need an objective, unemotional, cold-hearted methodology like pass block win rate. And you don't have to treat that stat like gospel, but That stat and a number of other advanced stats that have come out about the commander's offensive line in the win over the Cardinals have all said the same thing. The line wasn't nearly as bad as people thought. Email from Stanley Evans on how commander's head coach Rod Rivera has talked about this neck injury for edge defender Chase Young. Right, Stanley, it seems in some Twitter circles that all of the hate that had been toward Dan Snyder now has shifted toward Ron, LOL. What bugs me about Rivera is the stuff we're now hearing about Chase's injury. If Ron knew that the injury was more than a stinger, then he should have just said that. He comes off as a liar. Same thing with Curtis Samuel two years ago. Ron leaves it up to the public and the media for assumptions instead of just saying what is. Maybe I'm wrong, but isn't this just annoying to you? Uh, Thank you for the email, Stanley. Yeah, look, I'm all for Ron Rivera being coy about injuries for competitive advantage purposes, but him being coy about receiver Curtis Samuel's situation in 2021 did Curtis no favors, and Ron being coy about Chase's situation with this stinger that was more than a stinger has done Chase no favors. Curtis in 2021 came off as soft and brittle because he missed so much time due to a groin injury. But we then in November 2021 found out that he in June 2021 had undergone core muscle surgery. Well, that changed the calculus. Uh, Chase in the commander's preseason opening, 17-15 win at the Cleveland Browns on August 11th, suffered what was called a stinger. But here we are now, more than a month later, and Chase has not played in a game since. And people have been ripping Chase for being soft and or being injury prone and or not wanting to play. There is a better balance that Ron could strike between not giving away intel to opponents, but also not making his players look bad when they don't deserve to look bad. Well, the opposite of bad is good. Underdog fantasy is good. Very good. Uh, This NFL season, I'm partnering with Underdog Fantasy. I'm making fantasy football picks for Commander's Games in terms of Underdog Fantasy's higher, lower totals for each game. Uh, Underdog Fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out UnderdogFantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. And 
Underdog Fantasy is offering something special for listeners of this podcast. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free, free money. Uh, So here are my picks for Commander's Broncos. I'm playing two higher, lower totals. Uh, The receiving yardage total for Commander's receiver Jahan Dotson is 45 and a half. I am taking Jahan to have higher than 45 and a half receiving yards. Uh, The Broncos have an excellent corner in Patrick Sertan II. I would expect him to spend a good chunk of the game on the Commander's WR1, Terry McLaurin. I can see Jahan getting a good number of targets. I like him to have higher than 45 and a half receiving yards. The passing yards total for Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson for Sunday is 221 and a half. I am taking Russ to have lower than 221 and a half passing yards. Uh, I do trust the commander's defense. Russ in the Broncos 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders last Sunday threw for just 177 yards, had a yards per pass attempt of just 5.21. And a key Broncos pass catcher, tight end Greg Dulcich, is expected to miss multiple weeks due to a hamstring injury. So Jahan Dotson higher than 45 and a half receiving yards and Russell Wilson lower than 221 and a half passing yards. And all of this is through Underdog Fantasy. I'm making fantasy football picks for each commander's game. You can join me via a great deal. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. If you signed up now with promo code GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Galdi. We have the 1-0 and o Commanders at the 0-1 Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. Next segment, I'll talk Commanders defense. This segment, we deal with the Commanders offense. The Commanders injury report for Thursday afternoon's practice uh, was the same as uh, the team's injury report for Wednesday afternoon's practice in terms of offensive players. Receiver Curtis Samuel, a limited participant in practice each of the last two days due to a hip. Receiver Terry McLaurin, a full participant in practice each of the last two days despite dealing with a right big toe injury. And right guard Samuel Cosme, a full participant in practice each of the last two days despite dealing with a shoulder ailment. Uh, For the Broncos defense, interior defensive lineman DJ Jones for Thursday afternoon's practice was listed as a full participant Uh, for Wednesday afternoon's practice, having been listed as a limited participant. He's dealing with a knee issue. Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy did a pre-practice press conference early Thursday afternoon. The Broncos defensive coordinator is Vance Joseph. He used to be the team's head coach. Uh, He was the Broncos head coach for the 2017 and 2018 seasons. And then the team this past February hired him as defensive coordinator. But Eric Bieniemy and Vance Joseph have history. Uh, Vance Joseph was a quarterback 
at Colorado from 1990 through 1994. Eric Bieniemy was a running back at Colorado from 1987 through 1990, and he was a stud running back. Eric Bieniemy finished third in the voting for the Heisman Trophy for the 1990 season. Here was Eric on Thursday afternoon on Vance Joseph. The beauty of, of playing against this defensive coordinator, I've known this defensive coordinator since he was a freshman in college. So he's a personal good friend of mine. And uh, we've had an opportunity to work together uh, for years. I mean, hell, we trained together <laughs> in college and when we played in the league. But I know VJ, and I'm not going to say I know his entire defensive scheme, but he has a heck of a scheme. And so the thing I know about VJ, because VJ played in the secondary, you know, he's always going to give a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, an unscouted look to where he can cause confusion. And so our job is to make sure each and every week that we're preparing our guys for all those unscouted looks. Always expect the unexpected. Apply your rules and go play. Well, as for the commander's young starting quarterback, uh, this was Eric Bieniemy on Thursday afternoon on how he felt Sam Howell played in the team's regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. You know what? I thought Sam did basically what a first year uh, starting quarterback probably would do. And so I thought there was moments where he looked great. I thought there was moments where he just looked okay. And I thought there was moments that he can use as a growing as, as growing pains, but on top of that, using it as a life lesson springing forward. So the beauty of it is, just like I say, and I'll keep saying this every single day uh, that I'm here, is every time something happens, it's probably the first time that it's happened to him. So the good thing was that I thought Sam did was that he played through it. You know, he made a play with his feet to give us an opportunity. You know, he put himself in the end zone. So those are the things that you build upon. And the thing about it, like I said, I thought we showed grit. We stuck together as a team. And you need those life lessons. And you guys are going to hear me say this throughout the entire season. Okay, it does not matter what the numbers are. The only thing that matters, okay, is that alphabet. Did you find a way to get the W? And that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud of us as an organization and proud of us as a team. And here are three other letters in the alphabet. Uh, QBR, Sam Howell for week one, uh, as of Thursday, was number 19 out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR per ESPN 41.5. QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. A total QBR of 41.5 certainly is nothing special. And number 19 out of 32 certainly isn't good, but you know, it is better <laughs> than what we're used to around here. Do you know that the highest ranking for a Washington quarterback in total QBR for a regular season over the last five seasons, 2018 through 2022, is Taylor Heineke for the 2021 regular season ranking number 23 out of 31 qualified quarterback. So number 19 actually is progress. Uh, Sunday's game at the Broncos will mark Sam Howell's first start in an NFL regular season road game. Uh, this was Eric Bieniemy on Thursday afternoon on that. Well, I'm pretty sure he played in some, uh, some volatile stadiums when he played at North Carolina. Yes, Mile High is a very prestigious stadium. It's a loud stadium. The energy and the fan base, they get behind that team. But our objective is not to worry about that. Our objective is to make sure that we're getting our guys ready. And on top of that, we have to eliminate that as a distraction. So there are things that we can prepare them for. There are things that we can practice. 
But at the end of the day, we still got a game to play. And so all of that does not matter. You know, only thing that matters is that kickoff is at 205 or 225, whenever it is. And, hell, we'll line up in the parking lot at Mile High. We'll line up in the parking lot here. You know, at the end of the day, our guys just want to go out there and play. Something that seemingly would be of help to Sam Howell in his first NFL regular season road start would be a big game for receiver Terry McLaurin. Terry, in the win over the Cardinals, had just two receptions for 31 yards on just four targets. Uh, He played on 89% of the commander's offensive snaps. Did draw a big defensive pass interference penalty, but this was Eric Bieniemy on Thursday afternoon on Terry in the win over the Cardinals, getting just four targets. Well, I would say this. I I would say the commanders came away with a victory, and Terry's about as happy as anybody. And so you got to understand, in order to to build a great great team, you got to learn to appreciate winning. And so wins are hard to come by. The numbers will take care of themselves. The thing that I appreciate is the leadership that he provided during that process. Because when things wasn't going good, you got to be able to lean on your 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 leaders. You got to be able to lean on them to provide these guys some expertise and making sure that we're staying together. Those are the moments that I love throughout the course of the game. You never really want to live through that experience, but you want to see those guys rise to the uh, rise to the challenge. And so I can tell you right now, the last thing Terry's worried about is the number of targets. Okay, he's one and know he got an opportunity to play at home, you know, with a fan base that came out to support him and his team. Yeah, Terry McLaurin last Sunday afternoon getting just four targets isn't notable because he might be upset. It's notable because it's not ideal for your top receiver to get just four targets. Uh, tight end Logan Thomas. What about him? Uh, he and the win over the Cardinals had Four receptions for 43 yards on eight targets in playing on 82% of the commander's offensive snaps. He, on the commander's first offensive drive, what was the opening drive of the game, had a drop. Uh, The drive resulted in a first quarter punt, fourth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 36. Logan had the ball go right through his hands on a throw by Sam Howell on a shotgun in completion. Eric Bieniemy on Thursday afternoon on how Logan Thomas played on Sunday afternoon, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Like I said, you could talk about everybody, okay? Some guys play good in certain moments, and certain guys didn't play as good in certain moments. But when it's all said and done with, we won. You know, he caught the ball well, he dropped some. Obviously, he would love to not have any drops, but it didn't phase him. When we needed him to be at his best, he was at his best. It's just like every other player, okay? When we needed Sam to be at his best, Sam was at his best, and he made plays for us, and that's what this is about. And so guys are going to struggle, and guys are going to have bad moments, but that's how we've trained. That's why we practice the way we practice, because we know and understand everything is not going to be perfect. But at the end of the day, the only thing that you have to do is be the best team for over 60 minutes. You think the drops at all contributed to, because he missed time in camp, just kind of catching up to speed or anything like that? Uh, you, you're talking about a vet here. You know, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think more than anything, um, and maybe this is just my personal opinion, I mean, you had a, a, a high-energy, you know, atmosphere. 
everybody so excited to play. Sometimes when you're so excited, you want to try to overdo things rather than relax and rely upon the poise and fundamentals that have gotten you to this point. And so, you know, I thought a lot of us were probably trying too hard at certain times rather than just relaxing and playing. When we relaxed and played, we were pretty damn good. Now, let's give those guys some credit, too. They did a great job on defense. They gave us some different looks. But when we had to make plays, we made plays, and we found a way to finish. And I'll say this. We collectively found a way to be creative, and we dragged our ass across the finish line when it was all said and done. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, what will we see from the commander's rushing offense at the Broncos on Sunday? Commander's running backs and receivers in the win over the Cardinals averaged just 3.12 yards per carry. Uh, the commander's for week one ranked number 22 out of 32 NFL teams in run block win rate per ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. Now, it is worth noting that the Broncos, in their 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders last Sunday, did stop the run quite well. Uh, the Broncos held the Raiders to a total of 29 carries for just 61 yards. Uh, this was Eric Bieniemy on Thursday afternoon on the commander's rushing offense in the win over the Cardinals. You know what? I saw five guys up front, including some tight ends, I saw them guys come off the ball. I saw them play hard. It wasn't always perfect, but they showed grit and they strained. B-Rob got in there and did a heck of a job. The young buck got in there, uh, Chris, and he ran hard, and that was good to see. Because at times, you're gonna have to, you have to run the ball when everybody knows that you're going to run it. And then when you get in situations like that, in the rut that we kind of got into, we wanted to make sure that we can chew up clock, but on top of that, you know what, let's just go out here and find a way to move the chains by making sure that we display all the hard work that we've shown and put in into this, getting to this point. So it was fun watching them. And I'll say this, okay, everything wasn't perfect. But the thing that I enjoyed, I enjoy watching them play together. I enjoy watching them communicate with each other on the sideline, talking about all the nuances that they can do, you know, and looking forward to the next drive. So that's what makes this fun. And that's the challenge of, of, of being in this profession is watching these guys grow, but watching them come together and making things happen. A negative for the commander's rushing offense in the win over the Cardinals uh, was running back Antonio Gibson's second quarter red zone loss fumble. And so we on Thursday afternoon had this exchange between commander's insider J.P. Finley of NBC4 and Eric Bieniemy. Kind of just a theoretical one for somebody that played running back at a high level. When, when guys put the ball on the ground, how do you approach coaching in that moment? Is it a emotional support or do you have to let them know the repercussions? Here's the thing. There's always repercussions, but they shouldn't have to be reminded because they know. Nobody ever goes into a game wanting to fumble. And like I told AG, I said, listen, things happen. It's okay. All right? You're still very much a part of who we are. At the end of the day, we know we got to protect it. We got to basically keep it high and tight in the open field. We got to have two hands on it in traffic. And on the way down, we got to have it covered with two arms. And like I always remind, not just AG, but everyone, you are not the prize, okay? When you're playing offensive football, that, fall, that ball is by far 
the most important element on that field that everybody wants. We just got to do a better job of protecting it. And as a team, we didn't do that offensively. And that falls right back on myself and our entire coaching staff. So we're making sure that we're addressing those issues, but not to a point to where everybody's playing uptight. Nah, we just want them to be aware of it because of what we put on tape. And when you put something like that on tape, guess what? They're going to try and expose that as a weakness. So it's our job to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, something that did happen in the win over the Cardinals was Eric Bieniemy calling offensive plays for the Commanders. Here he was on Thursday afternoon on how the play calling went, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commanders insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. You know what? It was fun. It was fun. And uh, obviously, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a number of years, and, and I don't think anybody ever thought I, I've called plays, but I have called plays. <laughs> so... <laughs> It was good. It was great having that opportunity. And uh, obviously, we got a great coaching staff. Our guys do a heck of a job. Our guys grind. They work at it. They're invested. But on top of that, they know how important it is of making sure that we're getting our guys in the right places. But on top of that, making sure that we're giving our guys the best opportunity to go out there and be as successful as we can. Late in the game when you shifted to a run-heavy approach, what was going through your head, and, and especially you know, with four and a half minutes left when you get the ball down in the red zone, do you think about throwing it at all? Yes, I did. Okay, But during that time, I just felt that we needed to run the ball. And just getting that energy and feeding off the guys and being in that, that atmosphere, I felt our guys can run it. And... You know, obviously, you know, being around Coach Reed, he's kind of spoiled me. And I told you guys I've become a sellout when it comes to the pass game, you know, former running back. But uh, <laughs> I actually put my hard hat on and said, you know what, let's let these guys go win it. Let's let these guys set the tone. And I thought they did a great job. And I'll say this, okay, it wasn't always pretty, but it was effective, okay, and we found a way to win. That's by far the most important. We understand that we got things to work on. We're going to get better, okay? But the thing I want to make sure of is that we're doing what is right by our team. Eric Bieniemy last Sunday afternoon, he, in the first half, very pass-heavy in his play calling. He, in the fourth quarter, very run-heavy with his play calling. Generally speaking, that's fine. Uh, generally speaking, in the modern NFL, you pass to get the lead, you run to preserve the lead. And here's another philosophy. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. Paulson and Ace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Paulson and Ace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace provides a passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Ace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Ace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, how about this? Two verdicts versus Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yeah, Paulson and Ace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. 
uh, Bradley versus the United States of America. Polson and Nace won a case for which the United States government had to pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Polson and Nace took on the U.S. government <laughs> and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. But the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, Let's talk Commander's defense in preparation for their game at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. And we on Thursday afternoon got some good news on edge defender Chase Young. He was listed as being a full participant in Thursday afternoon's practice. Uh, This off him having been listed as a limited participant in Wednesday afternoon's practice, which was off him having been inactive for the Commander's regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. He's coming off that neck injury that he suffered in the Commander's preseason opening 17-15 win at the Cleveland Browns on August 11th. So Friday will be telling when it comes to Chase playing at the Broncos, but Obviously, going from being limited in practice on Wednesday afternoon to being a full participant in practice on Thursday afternoon is a step forward. Uh, The only other defensive player on the commander's active roster on the team's injury reports this week has been defensive back Quan Martin. Uh, He is in concussion protocol. He, for Thursday afternoon's practice, was listed as not having practiced for a second consecutive day. For the Broncos offense, receiver Jerry Judy for Thursday afternoon's practice, was listed as a full participant off for Wednesday afternoon's practice, having been listed as a limited participant. So he would seem to be tracking toward playing. He did not play in the Broncos' 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders in week one due to a hamstring injury. Uh, Tight end Greg Dulcich, he for Thursday afternoon's practice, was listed as not having practiced for a second consecutive day. He's expected to miss multiple weeks due to a hamstring injury. Commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, he on Thursday did a pre-practice press conference that started shortly before noon. Uh, Jack was the Broncos defensive coordinator for three seasons, 2012 through 2014. He did a really good job as Broncos defensive coordinator. Here were the Broncos rankings in the NFL in total defense per DVOA in each of the team's three regular seasons with Jack as defensive coordinator. 2012, number five. 2013, number 15. 2014, number four. This was Jack on Thursday on playing in Denver. Well, I mean, I think it's a great environment. It's uh, The fans are, are terrific there. 
Um, it, it, you know, they play to the, they remind you of the altitude. You know, they have signs everywhere reminding you. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is you, you go and you, you play, you go in and compete, you know. And so um, teams that play well and prepare well and, and go and execute, um, all those things don't become as big a, big a deal. I think if you go in and you, and you slop around and you don't, you don't play well, then those things can add up and, and they get, you know, they get it rolling. And I was part of us rolling there several times, um, you know, when I was the defense coordinator there, when we had some great moments. So I know what it's like when we start rolling. Uh, we don't want them to start rolling on us. No, we don't. The Broncos starting quarterback, Russell Wilson. Uh, The Commanders in the 2022 offseason, of course, tried quite hard to trade for Russ, tried quite hard to get on the Russ bus, Uh, but the Broncos got on the Russ bus, and he, of course, uh, ended up having a horrendous 2022 season with the Broncos. The bus uh, broke down. (laughs) Russ, for the 2022 regular season, ranked 27th out of 31 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR. Uh, Wilson, in the Broncos' loss to the Raiders last Sunday, completed 27 of his 34 pass attempts, had two touchdown passes versus no interceptions, took just two sacks, but he threw for just 177 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.21. Here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what has stood out to him about Russell Wilson with Sean Payton now as the Broncos head coach. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Mitch Tischler of the Beltway Football Podcast. Well, um, yeah, obviously there's a difference. I mean, um, he's, uh, you know, we saw him in Seattle, different design, different, you know, approach. Um, So, um, you know, we understand what they're trying to do, what they want to do, and how they want to use him. And Russ, Russ has been a good player for a long time in this league, so... Yeah, we've got to play well and make sure we take those things away. Following up on Russ with a guy like him who kind of likes to move around in the in the pocket, how important is it to, to have a coordinated rush amongst your, your D-line as you kind of attack a guy who, who can move yeah. around like Russ does? Yeah, I mean, let me know when there's not a guy that can move around. I'd, because I'm pretty sure they all move around. I mean, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weekly challenge. Um, Clearly, you know, we want to rush as a group, uh, uh, together, as a pack, and not as individuals. And so I, I thought we did an excellent job of that last week, and that will be a challenge for us going forward, week to week, uh, because, like, like, really, look at the schedule and just start naming which one's going to sit back there. Uh, you know, look, Peyton Manning was a great player, uh, Tom Brady, great player, but they weren't going anywhere. Uh, very few players like that in the league anymore. Well, we heard Jack Del Rio in that cut say that the commander's defense in the win over the Cardinals last Sunday afternoon did a great job of rushing as a group. Also for the commander's defense in that game, 11 tackles for loss, a tremendous total for an NFL defense in a regular season game. Here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday on how much tackles for loss helped to keep opposing offenses off schedule for third downs. Well, it it definitely helps. Um, Teams want to stay on schedule, and we can knock them off schedule by getting some TFLs. We're not necessarily hunting TFLs as much as we are hunting, and we want to attack uh, and and be aggressive and play off each other. And I, we saw several really good examples of that on on last Sunday. 
Six of the Commander's 11 tackles for loss in the win over the Cardinals came from three guys, edge defender Montez Sweat and interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Montez Sweat finished the game with one and a half sacks, a quarterback hit, two tackles for loss, and two forced fumbles. He, for the game, was the second highest graded Commanders player per pro football focus with an overall grade of 86.4 PFF grades or on a scale of 0 to 100. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what he noticed from Montez Sweat in the win over the Cardinals. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. I think the biggest thing is, you know, we harped all along about the finish, you know, and um, he ends up, you know, f- doing some nice finishing. So, um, yeah, he's, he's dialed in. He's, he's, you know, going after things. And, and really that, that finish element is, is part of it. He's, he's going to be around the quarterback. He's, he's a talented rusher. Um, and when he's there, you know, to be able to finish is key. When you was there something about those finishes or forcing those turnovers that like, that allowed him to get there better or more often? Like, what did you see kind of in the difference of actually finishing this time around? Um, I think his conditioning's improved. I think his ability to stay on the field was was stronger um, than it has been, which is which is a plus. Um, and then it's just it's just a focus, you know, and uh, I think he's pretty dialed in right now. As for John Allen and Deron Payne in the win over the Cardinals, John finished the game with a sack, three quarterback hits, and two tackles for loss. He, for the game, was the highest-graded commander's player for pro football focus with an overall grade of 90.2. And John, for week one, was number one among all qualified NFL defensive tackles in pass rush win rate per ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. And he did all of this in playing on 92% of the commander's defensive snaps last Sunday afternoon, a sky-high playing time percentage for an interior defensive lineman. Uh, and Duran, he finished the game with two tackles for loss and a fumble recovery. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on John and Duran being experienced in Jack's system, allowing them to play fast and do things like generate tackles for loss. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. Yeah, I think, you know, there's certainly uh, a comfort level in them understanding what they need to get done and um, where they can take their opportunities. And um, so I think that's part of it. And then, you know, we want to be penetrating and disruptive with our tackles. I mean, that's part of, part of what we do. So um, I, thought, I thought they were both really, really on point last week. Do you, do you see any difference in their games because of that experience this year? I, ho- I hope to see. I mean, we should uh, benefit from the time we've had together working as a group. You know, there's a, there's a core that we have uh, defensively that um, we, we've been together. They understand. Uh, we've added a couple new pieces to it, but um, we have we have a core that really understands what we're what we're looking for. And so, uh, you know, we should expect to play fast and and play off each other and uh, and be impactful. And impactful, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne were last Sunday afternoon. Something else about the Commanders' defense in the win over the Cardinals was. The commander's playing just two linebackers on defense, Cody Barton and Jamin Davis. And very interestingly, it was Cody who played a lot more. Cody Barton played on 100% of the commander's defensive snaps. Jamin Davis played on 65% 
of the commander's defensive snaps. Uh, Cody did not have a great game. His overall grade for Pro Football Focus was just 37.3. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on the commander's regular season debut of Cody Barton. Uh, Cody was he was okay. I mean he'll he'll be more productive. I mean he was he led the he led the group well. The communication was solid. He played every snap. Um, so you know got a lot on his plate, um, and, and the production will come. The question would be: Was the Commanders playing Cody Barton significantly more than they played Jamin Davis? Just specific to this game against the Cardinals, perhaps for matchup purposes, or does the team actually view Cody? as being better than Jamin. Uh, here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday on Cody playing more than Jamin did. I think, you know, you'll see us u- utilize packages, personnel groupings, you know, week to week. So I wouldn't make too big a deal over one or the other. Um, you know, I got an er- a earlier question on Emmanuel, and, and then, you know, now there's one on Jamin. You know, it's kind of same type of thing. I mean, we're going to roll our guys. We're going to have a plan. We're going to attack the people we're going up against. And we'll, you know, We'll review that, um, enjoy the victories, uh, make our corrections either way, and move on to next. And that's where we are right now, just kind of getting ready for the Broncos and putting a new plan together. And whatever ratios you saw last week may not apply this week. Um, So we'll see. Yeah, Jack Del Rio referenced the man who the commanders took with the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. He and the win over the Cardinals played on 65% of the commander's defensive snaps. Corners Benjamin St. Juice and Kendall Fuller each played on 100% of the commander's defensive snaps. Well, just like the commander's defense came through in the win over the Cardinals, catering by Uptown will come through for you. Catering by Uptown. It is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations and catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Uh, Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, Also know this, Catering by Uptown has job openings for the event waitstaff. No experience is necessary and you get paid in-house training. This is a great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, the Sunday afternoon's game for the Commanders at the Denver Broncos at 425 will mark the 16th all-time regular season meeting between the two franchises. Washington is 7-8 and eight against the Broncos in the regular season, but is 1-0 and oh against the Broncos in the postseason. Super Bowl 22, January 31st, 1988, the Redskins beat the Broncos 42-10 
at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, California. The Skins lost the first quarter 10-0. They then won the second quarter 35-0. What is the single greatest quarter of football in Skins history and maybe NFL history? But that was a long time ago. What about the now? My friends, it is that time. The time to rhyme. It is the time for rhyming keys. My keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Now, these rhymes, they're not meant to be good, okay? Trust me, they are not good. (laughs) These rhymes are only meant to make a few points. And in fact, we have a saying for this segment. The worse the rhyme, the better the time. So let's have a good time. Here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun. Rhyming keys for a commander's win at the Broncos. How do the commanders win this game? We now rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for the entire commander's offense for a game for which we have a start time of 4.25 p.m. Eastern. As the game goes on, and here in the Washington, D.C. area, things get dusky, (laughs) conquer a Broncos defense that's led in part by Greg Minuski. Yeah, Greg Minuski, our old pal. Uh, He was a linebacker for the Skins from the 1988 through 1990 seasons. He was the Skins defensive coordinator for the 2017 through 2019 seasons. Uh, Also was the team's outside linebackers coach for the 2016 season and was the team's inside linebackers coach for the 2001 season. But he right now is the Broncos inside linebackers coach. And he is a coach for a defense that has talent but also can be had. The Broncos in week one, with what they did in their 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, were number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in pass rush win rate for ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats, and were just number 25 out of 32 NFL teams in run-stop win rate per ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. Uh, The Broncos in that game allowed the Raiders' new QB1, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy G, uh, to go a highly efficient 20 of 26 for 200 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He did not take a sack. He, for week one, had the fourth-best total QBR per ESPN, 83.4. Uh, The Broncos do have a very good corner in Patrick Sertan II. The Broncos do have a very good free safety in Justin Simmons, but this is not a defense against which success cannot be had. Uh, It would be an outrage, man, if somehow the Commanders allowed six sacks for a second consecutive game. There should be opportunity for the Commanders to move the ball, and I very much want to see Commanders assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy do as he did in the team's regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. Call an aggressive game. Eric in the first half called 29 passing plays versus a mere nine rushing plays. I love that. And so rhyming key number one, this for the entire commander's offense. As the game goes on, and here in the Washington, D.C. area, things get dusky. Conquer a Broncos defense that's led in part by Greg Minuski. Hey, I told you these rhymes are not good. Rhyming key for commander's Broncos number two. This is for the entire commander's defense. Leave us again in awe. 
and exact revenge for Montez's broken jaw. Do you remember the last time that Washington played the Broncos? Halloween 2021, the then Washington football team fell to 2-6 and six in the 2021 regular season with a 17-10 loss at the Broncos. Edge defender Montez Sweat in that game suffered a broken jaw, which caused the only injury-induced absence of Montez's NFL career so far. He has only missed games for Washington due to injury via this broken jaw. We owe the Broncos for breaking Tez's jaw, uh, but we also want to see yet another awe-inspiring performance by the commander's defense, which was so good in the win over the Cardinals, especially Montez Sweat and interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Uh, The Broncos starting quarterback Russell Wilson is not who he once was. Now, is he still capable of doing well? Yes, but he also is capable of being dominated. The Broncos skill position players are not overwhelming. A key Broncos skill position player, tight end Greg Dulcich, uh, is expected to miss multiple weeks due to a hamstring injury. Let us see a second consecutive dominant performance by the commander's defense. And so rhyming key number two, this for the entire commander's defense, leave us again in awe and exact revenge for Montez's broken jaw. Do it for Tez! (laughs) And rhyming key for Commander's Broncos number three. This is for the entire Commander's team. Two and O may not be heaven, but give it to us for the first time since 2011. Uh, As you likely know by now, Washington on Sunday has a chance to achieve something that the franchise has not achieved since 2011 a 2-0 and start to a regular season. Washington has not started a regular season at 2-0 since 2011. A 2-0 and start to a regular season is not some incredibly great start. It certainly is not unheard of. And yet, our team has not had such a start since 2011. Ron Rivera as Washington head coach is 3-1 and in Week 1 games, but is just 1-5 and in games played in Weeks 2 and 3. Uh, the game against the Cardinals was an opportunity, an opportunity to deliver before a sold-out FedEx field, actually filled with fans of the home team, uh, pumped up about the season off the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group. Uh, No, the win was not pretty, but it was a win. Think about what the Commanders being 2-0 for the first time since 2011 might do for the excitement, for the fervor surrounding this team this season. Think about what the Commanders being 2-0 for the first time since 2011 might mean for the atmosphere at FedEx Field for the Commanders' home game against the Buffalo Bills in Week 3. You know, Denver is the mile-high city. Uh, Colorado was one of the first states in this country to legalize cannabis for recreational use. Getting high in Denver can mean all kinds of things. How high would we as Commanders fans be with a 2 and start to a regular season for the first time since 2011? And so rhyming key number three. This is for the entire Commanders team. 2 and may not be heaven. But give it to us for the first time since 2011. Give it to us. Give us that good stuff. Puff, 
puff pass <laughs> that two and doe start. Pass it to the left-hand side. You know, it goes commander's left hand up, and we pass the duchy to the left-hand side. Pass the duchy on the left-hand side. <laughs> That's right. Pass the duchy to the left-hand side. Not the right side, the left side. All right, it is prediction time. The commanders per Crab Sports are plus three and a half. Here's something that has not been talked about enough this week. The commanders beat the Cardinals despite committing three turnovers, all of which came in one quarter, the second quarter. How likely is the commanders for a second consecutive game committing three turnovers? Uh, now, we know enough as fans of our team to never assume anything, but three turnovers for a second consecutive game would seem to be unlikely to say nothing of allowing six sacks for a second consecutive game. I am taking the Commanders, and I am welcoming with open arms the three and a half. Final score, Commanders 20, Broncos 17, Sam Howell, two touchdown passes to tight end Logan Thomas. Hey, if you are looking for great deals on tickets to Commander's Games, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code ALGALDI. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the GameTime app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> Download the game time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And time now to talk college football, but before we get to Goldilocks, my previews and picks against the spreads for games played by Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, we do have a game for Navy that happened on Thursday night. The midshipmen fell to 1-2 and two overall and 0-1 and in the American Athletic Conference with a 28-24 loss at Memphis. I give Navy credit. The mids played Memphis tough. Navy was a 14-and-a-half-point underdog in multiple shops, but the mids won the first quarter 14-7, did then lose the rest of the game 21-10. Navy head coach Brian Newberry for a second consecutive game went into the game with a plan to play two quarterbacks in starter Ty Lovatai and backup Blake Horvath. Uh, Lovatai on Thursday night, 10-19 for 133 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions. Took just one sack. He officially had 14 carries for 30 yards and a lost fumble. Horvath had just one pass attempt, which was an incompletion. He had seven carries for 49 yards, but also two fourth quarter fumbles, including a loss fumble. Uh, the biggest bright spot for Navy was its rushing offense, which was good. Uh, the mids finished with 50 carries for 299 yards and two touchdowns. Fullback Alex Tesca, 15 carries for 163 yards, including a first quarter, first and 10, 75 yard under center toss, triple option touchdown run. And fullback Dava Fofana, had nine carries for 53 yards. Really good to see the mids run the ball as well as they did. Uh, Navy's defense on Thursday night was mixed. Uh, the mids did hold Memphis to just 4-12 on third downs and largely did a good job with Memphis quarterback Seth Hannigan, who carved up Navy last season. But Navy on Thursday night held Hannigan to just 6.23 yards per pass attempt and generated two fourth-quarter turnovers by him, a fourth-quarter interception and a fourth-quarter loss fumble on a first and goal at the one, uh, although he also had a touchdown pass and two touchdown runs. So the mids allowed Memphis running back Blake Watson to have 10 carries for 169 yards and a touchdown. But still, a more than respectable showing for Navy at Memphis. Next up for Navy, home to South Florida, Saturday afternoon, September 30th at 3.30. All right, we move now to Goldilocks. You've heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is Goldilocks, and it is brought to us by Crab Sports. Crab Sports is Maryland's number one sports book. Uh, Crab Sports is the only sports book that offers special boosts and parlays on all DMV area teams. In fact, if you go to crabsports.com between 5 p.m. Eastern on Friday to 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, you will see my Goldilocks picks in the boosted odds section. Yep, you get boosted odds with my Goldilocks selections, uh, making it easier for you to make money. Again, crabsports.com. And know this, join now and Crab Sports will match your new customer first bet up to $250. Crab Sports is partnering with local hero brands and businesses to bring the best localized betting experience to Maryland. Uh, Crab Sports wants to remind you to please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
must be 21 years of age or older. All right, Goldilocks, game number one, Maryland, home to Virginia, Friday night at seven, an old ACC rivalry renewed. The Terrapins for Crab Sports are minus 14 and a half. They improved it 2-0 and with a 38-20 win over Charlotte at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland last Saturday night. But the Terps had to overcome a 14-0 first quarter deficit. The start of the game was a nightmare for the Terps. They gave up a 48-yard touchdown pass on a busted coverage and then gave up a pick six. The score three minutes and 10 seconds into the game was Charlotte 14, Maryland nothing. The Terps at the end of the first quarter trailed 14 nothing, but they then scored 38 unanswered points before a meaningless late fourth quarter touchdown by Charlotte. Uh, the Cavaliers, they fell to 0-2 with a 36-35 loss to James Madison at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia last Saturday afternoon in a game that featured a lightning delay of more than an hour. Uh, the Cavs overcame a 14-0 first quarter deficit, but blew a 35-24 fourth quarter lead. The Cavs starting quarterback for this game was true freshman Anthony Calandria as the Cavs QB1, the Monmouth transfer, Tony Musket, did not play due to an injured left shoulder uh, that he suffered in the Cavs season opening 49-13 loss to then number 12 Tennessee at uh, Nissan Stadium in Nashville on September 2nd. But Calandria did a nice job. He went 20-26 for 377 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He did take four sacks, and he did quarterback a UVA offense that went just four of 13 on third downs, but he averaged a whopping 14.5 yards per pass attempt, and Calandria this past Monday was named ACC Rookie of the Week. However, Head coach Tony Elliott, during his post-game press conference last Saturday, said that players do not lose their starting jobs due to injury. And UVA's offensive coordinator, Des Kitchings, he on Wednesday said that Musket, who has been practicing this week, is expected to be the team's starting quarterback at Maryland. Quote, if he's ready to go, he's the guy end quote. Additionally, the Wahoos are expected to have some other players back from injury. Tony Elliott, uh, during his press conference on Tuesday, said that this is the healthiest that his team has been so far this season. Uh, Terps head coach Mike Loxley, he was not pleased with his team's terrible start in the win over Charlotte. I expect a focused Maryland team, and the Hoos uh, still have a lot to prove before they can be trusted. Give me Maryland, minus 14 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money! Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Goldilocks game number two, Virginia Tech at Rutgers, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Hokies per Crab Sports are plus six and a half. The Hokies fell to one and one with a 24-17 loss to Purdue at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia last Saturday in a game that featured a thunderstorm delay that lasted for five hours and 27 minutes. Yeah, a delay of five hours and 27 minutes. This was something, and the game ended up being something. The Hokies overcame a 17-0 second quarter deficit to tie the game at 17 shortly before halftime, but they then lost the second half 7-0. The big question with Tech for this game at Rutgers is health. 
uh, Tech starting quarterback Grant Wells has an ankle injury. Uh, he, for this game at Rutgers, is questionable. Wells, in the loss to Purdue, had a rough game, ended up being replaced by Baylor transfer Kyron Drones late in the game. And two key Hokies receivers, Old Dominion transfer Ollie Jennings and Middle Tennessee State transfer Jalen Lane, got injured in the loss to Purdue. Uh, Jennings is out for this game at Rutgers. He, after the loss to Purdue, had his left foot in a boot. Lane, for this game at Rutgers, is questionable with a hamstring injury. Uh, Rutgers is 2-0, two home wins, a season opening 24-7 win over Northwestern and a 36-7 win over Temple last Saturday night. Rutgers' run defense in each game has been very good. The Hokies' rushing offense in each of their first two games has been really bad. Uh, The Hokies' run defense in each of their first two games has been really bad. And Rutgers' running back Kyle Madungai had a big game in the win over Temple last Saturday night, 28 carries for 176 yards and a touchdown. Give me Rutgers, minus six and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And so your remaining Goldilocks for college football week three, Maryland minus 14 and a half, Rutgers minus six and a half. And don't forget crabsports.com between 5 p.m. Eastern Friday to 11 a.m. Eastern Saturday. You will see my Goldilocks picks in the boosted odds section. You get boosted odds with my Goldilocks selections, uh, making it easier for you to make money money. (laughs) Again, crabsports.com. Well, don't look now, but the Orioles have their first three-game losing streak since a four-game losing streak from June 27th through July 1st, and the Orioles' latest loss was a costly loss. The American League leading O's, they lost to the American League wildcard leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards 4-3 on Thursday night in game one of a big four-game series. The O's for this 2023 regular season now are 91-55, and best record in the American League, but the O's now have just a one game lead on the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. The Orioles offense, which had been on fire, has gone like silent. The O's during this three-game losing streak have totaled just five runs, and the O's on Thursday night got shut down by the Rays pitching staff. The O's in this game scored just three runs, totaled just four hits, worked just one walk, struck out a staggering 15 times, and went one for three with runners in scoring position. The Rays' starting pitcher was Aaron Savali, who the Rays acquired via trade with the Cleveland Guardians in a deal shortly before the 2023 MLB trade deadline. Uh, Savali on Thursday night allowed three runs in five innings. Okay, nothing special there, but eight strikeouts versus one walk. And how about this? Four Rays relievers combined for four perfect innings with seven strikeouts. The Rays' bullpen on Thursday night retired every Orioles batter the bullpen faced. Uh, The Rays' bullpen this season has been outstanding. The O's on Thursday night experienced that firsthand. Uh, The Orioles did get leadoff homers from Gunnar Henderson and Ryan O'Hearn. Gunnar Henderson as the Orioles' starting shortstop and number two batter went one for four with a solo homer. Struck out twice, but he hit Orioles one run fourth, had a leadoff homer to right field on a one-two pitch 
to cut the Orioles' deficit to 3-2. And Ryan O'Hearn has the Orioles' starting first baseman and number four batter went one for four with a solo homer. He did strike out three times, but O'Hearn in an Orioles' one-run second had a leadoff homer to right field for a one nothing Orioles lead despite having been down in the count at one point, one two. The homer went a projected 409 feet per stat cast. But otherwise, a really bad night for Orioles batters. Anthony Santander, one of the Orioles' best hitters this season, he on Thursday night as the Orioles' starting DH and number three batter had the golden sombrero 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Uh, the Orioles' starting pitcher on Thursday night was their best starting pitcher this season, Kyle Bradish, but he was just so-so. Uh, Bradish allowed four runs in seven innings. He gave up seven hits, a solo homer, a triple, and five singles. He did have five strikeouts versus no walks, and he did throw a lot of strikes, 100 pitches, 66 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen was good. Two Orioles relievers combined for two perfect innings. Jorge Lopez tossed a perfect top of the eighth. Yanir Cano tossed a perfect top of the ninth. Pitching wasn't really the Orioles' problem on Thursday night. Hitting was. Uh, Also, the O's have called up yet another big-time prospect to the majors. Uh, The O's on Thursday afternoon announced a flurry of roster moves, including having selected the contract of outfielder Heston Kerstad from AAA Norfolk. Uh, Heston Kerstad is the number 24 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. This season is his age 24 season. The O's took Kerstad with the number two overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Arkansas. Uh, He, on Thursday night, was used as a pinch hitter, and he, in his first Major League regular season plate appearance, struck out (laughs) uh, a lot of strikeouts by Orioles batters on Thursday night. But three games to go in this big four-game series. Game two, Friday night at 7.05. Jack Flaherty will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. He has not been pitching well lately. He has not pitched well uh, for the O's of them having acquired him leading up to the 2023 MLB trade deadline. Got him like minutes before uh, the 2023 MLB trade deadline. He really needs a good start. Uh, Game three, Saturday night at 7.05, Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game four, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. So the expected now is official. The Nationals have clinched a fourth consecutive losing regular season. Uh, The Nats have gone from eight consecutive winning regular seasons from 2012 through 2019 to now four consecutive losing regular seasons, 2020 through 2023. Thursday afternoon, a lightning quick 2-0 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates in game four of a four-game series in which the Nats lost three games of the last three games. But this game on Thursday afternoon took one hour and 50 minutes. This was the shortest nine-inning regular season game for the Nats since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. One hour and 50 minutes. I have to tell you, I love this pitch clock system for Major League Baseball now. Uh, The institution of this pitch clock system for this 2023 MLB season has been a godsend. Uh, Tremendous stuff. Uh, I do not love what the Nats have been doing lately. Uh, A lot of losing. 
Uh, the Nats now are just 4-13 and 13 over their last 17 games. The Nats for this regular season now are 65-82. and 82. Uh, That is the second worst record in the National League. Uh, the Nats offense on Thursday afternoon did nothing. Uh, no runs, just two hits, both of which were singles, just one walk. Uh, the Nats got dominated by Pirates starting pitcher Mitch Keller, who tossed eight scoreless innings with seven strikeouts versus one walk. The Nats' two singles came from shortstop C.J. Abrams and third baseman Jake Alou, who had a bunt single. The Abrams single was a leadoff first pitch, opposite field single to left field in the top of the first, but he then got picked off at second base. However, there was a major bright spot for the Nats on Thursday afternoon. Their starting pitcher, Josiah Gray. Uh, Gray on Thursday afternoon made a start for the first time in 11 days. The Nats have been trying a number of things with Gray to get him back on track. Well, he and this 2-0 loss at the Pirates was good for just the second time in seven starts. And it wasn't just that. He was really good. Gray allowed two runs in six into third innings with 10 strikeouts versus no walks. Outstanding. The 10 strikeouts were his most in a game in this regular season. He gave up five hits, two solo homers, and three singles. He threw a ton of strikes. Gray over 88 pitches threw 62 strikes versus just 26 balls, a strikes-to-balls ratio of better than two-to-one. A massive problem for Gray in his recent bad starts had been him throwing a ton of balls. Heck, even in his lone good start in recent weeks prior to this start on Thursday afternoon, he threw a ton of balls. 2-1 win at the New York Yankees on August 22nd. Gray in that game allowed one run in six innings. He did that despite issuing a whopping five walks and a hit by pitch, and despite throwing just 50 strikes versus 51 balls over 101 pitches. He threw more balls than strikes in that game. So very nice to see Gray do as he did on Thursday afternoon, uh, albeit against a bad hitting team in the Pirates. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday afternoon on Josiah Gray. Um, you know, attacked, attacked the strike zone. Direction was way better today. Um, you know, overall, he threw the ball really well. He changed his delivery to start almost out of the stretch versus what he typically does. Why did he decide to do that? And was that interesting? Well, it was something that we worked on, and we're trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to keep him gathered, uh, keep him under control. Um, you know, but he was um, he was really good today. You know, it was, it was good to see. So um, we could build off of that. What was the comfort? What was the conversation like when you guys we went out there in the seventh um, with? Two guys on and in and out. I told him that he, I told him, hey, you, you did a great job. You know, um, I want to keep him around ninety pitches. Um, so you know, uh, William's going to come in. He was, you know, he, you know, he wanted to stay out there as as any pitcher would. Um, so he, uh, yeah, but he understood. So, um, like I said, he did a great job, and I, and I wanted him to finish off, cut, you know, with a good taste in his mouth. So and uh, he'll go back out there in another five or six days, and hopefully he'll continue to do what he did today and 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 be consistent. But it was uh, today was was exactly uh, and we needed that. You know, our bullpen's been <laughs> pitching a lot, but um, I'm really happy for him. I'm proud of him for making the adjustments. What would you say was the biggest area of focus that he put in between starts? It was it was more about getting direction, you know, trying to figure out how to slow him down a little bit. Um, and he worked on it, and uh, like I said, today was really, really good. If we keep him there, um, as, as we all know, you know, he's an all-star. So uh, we keep him there, though. It's all about consistency now with him.
Well, Josiah Gray for this regular season now, 28 starts and ERA of 4.07. Really would like to see him end his season with that ERA under four, which is where his ERA has been for so much of this season. Uh, the Nats bullpen in this 2-0 loss at the Pirates on Thursday afternoon was good. Two relievers, Jordan Weems and Jose A. Ferrer combined for one and two-thirds perfect innings with three strikeouts. The Nats bullpen actually was excellent over the four games at the Pirates. Nats relievers in the series combined to allow one run in 12 and a third innings. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers. Game one, Friday night at 8-10. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7-10. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 2-10. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 658. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders of whatever happens in their game at the Denver Broncos Sunday afternoon at 425. Also on Monday show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's this weekend. Have a three-game series at the Milwaukee Brewers. The O's this weekend have the final three games of the big four-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park and Camden Yards. And I, on Monday's show, will talk college football week three, which includes Maryland, home to Virginia. Friday night at 7, Virginia Tech at Rutgers, Saturday afternoon at 3.30, Liberty at Buffalo, Saturday at noon, James Madison at Troy, Saturday night at 7, and Old Dominion, home to Wake Forest, Saturday at noon. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.